I don't know if you guys have seen the new Adidas Star Wars line celebrating the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back, but uh, yo, that's my joint! What's good, friends and family, neighbors, near and far? Welcome to the Yo That's My John podcast, the podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, a.k.a. John Ethan Livingston Swaggle, a.k.a. that guy, when you ask him how he's been, always replies, (laughs) I mean... I'm here, a.k.a. Alexander Scarchild, a.k.a. Nader Tots, a.k.a. John Bon Jovi, a.k.a. John E. Carson, a.k.a. Nate 3.0, back here with another episode. Foe. Dat. Ass. As always, I hope this podcast finds you in good health and in good spirits. You know, one of the things that I've gained since starting this podcast is a strong sense of gratitude that I have been given the chance to sit down and not just have these fantastic conversations with people whom I respect and to be able to share that with you, but that I also get to learn things about them that probably never would have come up in a passing back and forth. I had such an amazing talk with my guest today that may have gone longer than usual and honestly could have gone five times as long. And because of that, this week, I am going to spare you the monologue of a guy who loves to hear his own voice, and get right to the interview. My guest today is an incredibly talented musician whose dedication to his craft has taken him from playing alongside tapes and CDs in his bedroom to touring the U.S. and Europe with the band's Movies with Heroes and Further Seems Forever. A Temple graduate, he can currently be seen playing saxophone in the outfit Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties, the solo project from Wonder Years frontman Dan Campbell. But beyond all of that, he's just a great fucking guy. It is my honor to welcome to the podcast, Chemina Ukazum. It's been very weird because like, um, like you were saying, like random gigs and stuff like that, like I've gotten messages for gigs and like to have to ask the question like, well, what is your seating like? Where am I set? (laughs) You know, like, yes, it it feels so weird to be so like, um, like it makes me feel like more, I'm, I suppose I'm a little bit of a diva as I have like my mustache curled and just did it right (laughs) before the podcast. My wife just like, you know, gave me a shape up, but I feel like even more of one. I got asked to fill in for a band on uh, on bass. Um, oh, by the way, um, my wife just revealed to me that I say bass with a Z and not with like a like I play the bass. Okay. Um, that's a, a foreign thing. Um, everybody, <laughs> I think the people who from whom I learned that word they say bass. So I think bass is like when you're playing tag and you're like bass. Yeah, you're on bass. <laughs> um, yeah, I get that. Yeah, but when you're playing this instrument, it's like I play the bass. Um, but I heard that it's actually supposed to be the same thing. So I get a, an offer for that, and I'm like, okay, um, is the show outside? Because I want to know. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, the show's outside. All this kind of stuff. Um, come to find out, it's the uh, the day after we're going to have a, a son. So I had to turn the the gig down. And I was like, we, I, well, I said, is it outside? And I said, will you be offended if I wear a mask? Because if so, I'm going to turn on a gig. If they're like, oh, man, yeah, that'll look weird. I'm like, okay, well, I, I can't play. I can't play, but at least I wanted to know, just like you're saying, those random questions that I never had to ask before. Right. 
it's 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 a whole new weird world um everybody you just jumped in in the middle of our conversation my guest today chemino chasm did i do that right i've been yeah yeah yeah. i've been practicing all day (laughs) it's the first time i ever actually looked at someone's um facebook pronunciation of how to use their name (laughs) practice but uh um, I am so thankful that you're here joining me to have this conversation. Um, but yeah, dude, it's weird times, man. It is weird times. And, you know, yeah. like you said, you know, it's so um, I, I don't know if we're recording at this point, but um, that there's no finite kind of end or start to something new. In yeah. the, uh, the only thing I have is like, well, at least Mandalorian season two comes out next month. You know, that's like, what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I, I was going to wear. That's the only thing I forgot to do. I was going to wear the shirt. Um, my wife got me like the the wanted the wanted one with uh, with like, like it says, like, the you know, the child is on there and just says like wanted above it, like his little like bounty bounty poster. Uh, so I was I was going to wear that. But you're you're completely right. As in. Like right now, somebody asked me, because right now I'm, I'm teaching. I teach almost every day, but it's just like we're doing right now, except I'm like, here like this. You yeah. know, like, hey, yeah. can you hear me okay? Right? I'm doing this all day long. And one of my students, one of my younger students is like, when are we, when are we going to go back to like, when are we going to go back to being at George's? And I said, I honestly can't tell you when. And for the older people, I'm like, I can't tell you when I'm going to be comfortable being in a five by five room for eight hours a day with a new person coming in every half hour and we're close enough to touch knees. Yeah. So even if that person like comes and goes for me, I'm still in there. I, and I said, I'm I'm not a claustrophobic person normally, but I was getting claustrophobic thinking about it. Like, you know, it just feels, it feels a, a lot of strange. And then in addition to that, it's not as if it's not as if I can get up and go and the, when the lesson is over I'm still going to be in there. So I and the other uh, last bit of it is just like you were talking about with gigs, I can I could not predict somebody else's for lack of a better term covid hygiene. Yeah, meaning they could never have any type of precaution. And then just put on the mask when they're coming to have a lesson with me because I require it. And then half an hour later, they do nothing for the next seven days and then put the mask on when they come back in. Yeah. So they could be COVID in everywhere. And <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a verb, but I, I made it one. But it, it, it's fun. You know, I, I work in a warehouse and uh, we have truck drivers that come through all the time. And like we've we've had people come through and like, you know, we're like, we can't let you in without a mask. And I've had truck drivers straight say, I don't have a mask. And I'm like, where are you? Like, where, <laughs> like well, uh, you can't go anywhere. I don't understand yes. you at all. What are you doing? <laughs> But um, but, you know, I just um, like I said, I'm, I'm happy to have you here because, um, uh, first of all, I love you. Um, you know, it's, it's, we, we, you know, brother. Um, since since the minute we met, um, we uh, hit it off very well. And yes. um, I've always appreciated conversations with you. So, you know, like I said, I, I was really happy to be able to um, uh, get you on here. Um, you know, whenever thanks for you. having me. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell these uh, classy people who listen and watch this show a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and where you grew up? All right, all right, all right. Um, like Nate said, my name is Chemina. Uh, I suppose this would be the time that I should say like all my names. So my name is 
chemena emenike onyedika chi okazem. Oh, goddamn. But <laughs> usually, the, you know, people, what's your name? I'm like, Chemina. And I'll, I'll say it with no accent just because it's a little bit easier to get. But it's like a staircase. Like, Chiemena is what my name actually is. But I digress. So um, I'm from, I say I'm from Nigeria. So, because I am. But I was born in Dallas, Texas, strangely enough. But I did not live in the States after that point. I was here for eight days. And then I uh, went back to Cameroon and then lived in Oman in the Middle East and then lived in Nigeria for six months and then came back here when I was uh, four and something. So essentially, I'm an immigrant because I don't remember the first eight days that I was an American citizen. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. But it counts. They, they, it counts. They counts, it right? counts. Yeah. Thankfully. Yep. So I have dual citizenship here and Nigeria. And... We came to Pennsylvania after living in Texas for two years. We came in 89. So I guess you could say like my home state now is Pennsylvania because I was only born in Texas and lived in Texas for a little bit. Yeah. Loads of family there, but I've been here, lived in Collegeville, then lived in Satterton, then lived in Quakertown, then Bethlehem, and now I live in North Wales. The greatest place in the world. I actually really like it here. It's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, one of my um, stretch goals for this podcast is to get uh, John Oates on the, uh, on oh, the show. Oh, shoot. And he is from North Wales. And I, oh, we got we to have that happen. That's one of the main reasons I want him on is because I just want to have a conversation with him about like uh, uh, the only Wawa, right? You know, you yes. Know, like, <laughs> yes. You should but, start um, having like people like like on the sly start covering tunes of theirs so, so like it starts to drum up a little bit of something mm -hmm. uh-huh mm -hmm. so funny story um i actually um have worked on a cover of had i known you better then um from really? abandoned luncheonette yeah and the reason i have it on lock that i can just pull out at any point is just in case John Oates is home because uh, I believe his parents still live in North Wales and he still comes to the area every once in a while. Um, just in case he stops in at Tex-Mex and I'm playing there, I want to yes. bust it out. Also, yes. I can't sing it. All I can sing are the harmonies. So he will have to do the song and I will yes. just play it and do the harmonies. For me. Yes. Anyway, so that's yes, my like little that. North Wales love. Um, yeah. So uh, Texas, uh, you have family there. Is that is that how you were born there? or? Mm. Um, um, the My parents went and got, uh, my mom got her bachelor's and master's there. My dad got a master's and doctorate at Texas A&M. And then they went and started teaching at University of Houston. So my, my first sister was born in College Station, which is where A&M is. Then my next sister, next oldest, was born in Houston, where they were living there. Um, I think to this date, Houston has the largest gathering of Nigerians in the United States. Really? So I'm not sure why, why Nigerians liked Houston, but my, my dad was one of the first. And then um, he brought my mom over two years later and that was still in Virginia but I think we just like knew people then and the people that my mom first lived with in the United States when she lived in West Virginia they had moved to Dallas Texas by then so when she came back to have me um, she left my dad and my two sisters overseas came by herself had me then they had they did like my baby dedication and then I left. So I think she came back because that was like a nice spot. 
So yeah. she came to the hospital, St. Paul's Hospital in Texas. So that became like a a little bit of a home base. I still have, I don't have loads of family here in the States. I still only have like an uncle on each side and a couple cousins. Um, but all of them are based in Texas, Houston uh, in particular, except for one one uncle that's in Florida. So yeah, mostly mostly Texas is just is a place where I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's really humid in Houston or something, and the weather feels like it's pretty yeah. good. Because my dad always finds everything to be super cold. Um, he's a Gemini. It's always so cold. So <laughs> they finally moved out west. They live in Arizona now, and he's very happy about it. Um, because he doesn't like the Pennsylvania cold. That's um, excellent. What I really think it is is that he didn't know, but my sister got the doctor said it's hereditary. I think he has Raynaud syndrome, as I do, which is where your uh, your extremities, like your hands and your feet, at the first sign of cold, they act like it's like thirty degrees lower than what it actually is. Okay. So your hands will start going numb really quickly. Your toes will go numb and they start doing like the frostbite process. So in like 50 degree weather, high 40s, my hands will turn like pale yellow and all the blood leaves them. So I'm wearing gloves and all that stuff. I'm not cold, but my hands think it's freezing. How does that affect playing? Does it, oh, it uh... sucks, mate. Like when it, it makes those practices where people are like, it's going to be a little bit chilly, but like, you know, we can get the practice in. It makes them almost impossible at shows. If it's like the venue's a little cool and it's the winter time or anything like that, I'm like wearing gloves inside just to try to keep my hands at that level. And I thought it was just like a thing, but now, like right now the air conditioning's on. I have a very pregnant wife and she's very, very warm. And if I'm teaching with the AC on, after about two lessons, the room starts getting cool enough, not for anybody else, but enough that my hands start to get like sludgy like they start moving a little bit slower i can still play the same speed but i have to fight it way more hmm. yeah and then my toes like my toes will go numb in the car with the ac on just just drive it in the summer um it's gotten worse as i've gotten older so i've been trying to do like yoga to see if i can increase circulation but it's my brain telling my hands that you know save yourselves That's circle really the wagons you know what i mean so it's uh it's it's freaking annoying but I'm starting to get, I guess, like used to it. So I kind of plan for it. My wife got me these like heated socks. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. They, they pull up like they pull up to your knee and they have these little battery packs that you can put in them. And it powers like these wires that are throughout the socks and they warm my feet. So it's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. That's love. That it's is... very dad of me, but like it, it works. So. Dude, it's, it sounds practical to me. Like, and, and that, it's, that might just come with old age, but I'm like, yes. that's that's legit. You found yourself yes. a solution. Yeah, but, uh, so, uh, growing up, like, when did uh, music kind of enter your life? Like, uh, what uh, what do you remember? Like, so you were all over the place early on. Mm -hmm. Do you like remember different types of music, or was there just what was kind of playing around the house? I guess that one's kind of fun because my parents both. Um, they both sang in various choirs in Nigeria. At one point, my dad was a choir director while he was waiting to get his visa to come to the States. Um, they've always been in like plays and things like that. And then in Nigeria, um, at least I'll speak for Igbo people. Igbo people, there's a lot of singing that goes on throughout everything. You sing at work, you sing at church, you sing at funerals, you dance at funerals, like all that music is just a part of life. So with my parents, 
Um, my mom says, like, I don't remember, I, don't, I remember things really young, but my mom says that I've been, I used to stand on the table and she'd have me sing for like guests that come to our house. So I've been performing on some level since then. But when we were all through growing up, we were always going to like various churches and me and my sisters would sing like four part harmonies or three parts before my voice dropped. So we're all, you know, this used to be like a thing where I'm, I don't think I'd be exaggerating to say at some points we were doing some type of performance as a family between like 20 and 30 times a year type of thing. Oh, that's awesome. Going to different schools and doing that kind of stuff. So being on the stage, that was, that's kind of been in, not, not always, but since I was like four, we would do various things there. Um, in terms of music around the house, that one's fun because everything that I know about music that isn't church music, I had to learn like late teens, early 20s because okay. my parents didn't have anything in the house, but like gospel stuff. So it's hilarious. My wife will be like, this song will come on. My wife's like, oh, yeah, I remember this one and start singing all the words. And she's like, have you ever heard this song? I'm like, no, I, I haven't. She's like, what? How could you have missed this? This song was everywhere. And I was like, yeah, I was not. Um, I was at church. Sometimes I'd hear some songs at the barber shop when I was there. That's the first time I heard Boys to Men. I didn't even know who it was. I didn't even know what the song was. I just heard the song. And I was like, oh, oh, shoot, I can't dance to this because mom will get angry. But I know it's good, right? <laughs> so I didn't, I wasn't exposed to anything that anybody would know. I was still playing. I was still, I started playing. My first instrument was saxophone at 11. So I had the opportunity to play piano. But I have three sisters, and I was the only boy. And for some reason, I had it in my head that since my sisters were playing piano, I didn't want to play what they were playing. Not that I didn't like yeah, them, but be like, I'm a dude. Like, I'm going to play something else. Yeah. So I had it in my head that I wanted to play um, saxophone. So I started playing saxophone for a couple years. And then unbeknownst to me, as a uh, Nigerian parent will do, they will do something or put something in place and then tell you that it is done. So my dad comes home from church one day and he's like, uh, Gemini, I just, I spoke to Pastor John and I told him that you are going to start playing saxophone for church, right? <laughs> I never played saxophone for church. I'm 14 years old. There is no saxophone music. They give me a mic and I just like had to start. I now know it's called improvising. I just tried to play along with the song. So that was my first like gig training on an instrument. Every Sunday, you know, 52 weeks out of the year, I'm playing saxophone of some sort. So most of my cutting my teeth playing instruments was a church. I did that. Then I started playing bass around. Yeah, I started playing bass around the same time I was already playing saxophone, but not at church, just by myself. I had this like little half size bass that I'd practice, listen to cassette tapes and try to play along. I wanted to get bass and guitar lessons, bass first, but my dad said no because I was already taking saxophone. Not that he didn't like it, even though I think the saxophone was a more worthy instrument for Nigerian folk. Really? Um, I think, yeah, because they associate the guitar with, um, not necessarily my parents, but at the time, they associate the guitar with like vagrants and, and drug use. Okay. I think the saxophone seems more polished. So like, you know, my dad, when I was little, he'd just be like, you know, those musicians, they just... They just smoke dope <laughs> and they have earrings and like all these things like, you know, I have five of them now. So it always makes me laugh. But growing up, it wasn't it wasn't bad at all. It wasn't that. And 
I didn't even know that I was necessarily not listening to a large amount of other kinds of music because I was never exposed to it, right? Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't like, and then all my friends were like church friends, and most of them weren't listening to anything. So I wasn't, I would hear stuff in a movie. I'd hear stuff over like, you know, the speaker system when you're in the store. But I was never like, so I'd hear a couple songs, but everything I learned, I had to go back and like catalog it. So I know loads of classic rock now because I'm into guitar. I love hip hop, but there's loads of hip hop that I don't know because when I was trying to do the back catalog, I was devouring anything that I could play on guitar. Okay. I was devouring anything that I could play on bass or saxophone and bass a little bit. Yeah, you can get some like bass lines in hip hop, but most of the time they're the same bass line. And again, that's not bad. I love loops. Right. I love all that. But I was trying to like, I was, everything that I wanted to learn, I wanted to learn something that I couldn't do, something that I couldn't play. So I get obsessed with women band and learn like everything that they had. And so I had this whack idea that when you buy a, a CD, I couldn't get another CD till I learned how to play everything on the CD. That's so that's I would just sit in my room by myself and just listen to the song, run through the album until I could play like the whole album just like front to back. Cause I thought that's how you, you did things. And since I couldn't take guitar lessons, I'm like, I guess this is how people learn how to play guitar. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so it was fun. So that growing up, it was it was that always surrounded by music, but never, never thought it was going to be something that I was going to do for a living. Yeah, because both my parents are highly educated. Music is like a side thing. And it's not supposed to be your main thing, you know? Yeah. So what do your parents do? Or mm. um, what my they're both now retired. But um, to promote this area a little bit. Yeah, they both taught at Monco. Oh, um, right. They've always been professors. So my dad taught at Monco for, I think it was like 27 years. Um, he taught mathematics there and sometimes physics. Um, he also taught at Temple for a little bit, Swarthmore. Um, we first came to the state or to Pennsylvania because of teaching. My dad got involved with something called Project Seed. And that was trying to teach algebra and higher math to uh, inner city kids. Oh, my God. That's yeah. awesome. So it wasn't highly paying, and it wasn't necessarily the most rewarding kind of job because, you know, it's a lot. But he says that that forged, like, how to teach in any type of environment, how to teach anyone. So he ended up at Monco. My mom teaches English as a second language or taught English as a second language at Monco. So most of my mates have never had a class from her, even if they have had them from my dad, because most of my mates, English is not their second language. Yeah. So it kind of works out like that. I have a couple people where they're like, wait, I took from your mom. She helped me so much. Now I can write <laughs> sentences and all that. And that makes me feel good because English is her second language and kind of mine. But my parents wanted us to learn Igbo. That's the, the language that my name is in. So they spoke both at the same time. So to me, I just remember learning them or both knowing both of those things. And that's just kind of how it was at home. So even now, if they call me, it's only when my wife is around that I'll realize that they're not speaking English because you just see it as the same same type of deal. Yeah. So here's a really um, stupid question that I like to no, ask no. When, when I know people um, were raised with different languages. When mm -hmm. you dream, mm -hmm. um, are, 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 what, what dominantly... Um, do you dream? What language do you dominantly dream in? Uh, uh, well, this is fun. English as a, as a, like, you know, if, if I had to put it into one word, however, the thing that I will say is with my Igbo, 
it's at the point right now where I could translate for anybody into English, straightforward, nonstop. But my Igbo speaking is really rusty because I have no one with whom to practice. Gotcha. What's weird about my dreams is I'm a person that is a I'm a sleep talker a lot of the time, um, but also kind of like wakeful dreaming. Yeah. And when I first wake up, when you're still in that haze, my Igbo is on point. Like I've, I thought it was, I thought it was just in my head. So what I start doing, I wake up sometimes, I just start recording it. I'll record it and I'll just send it to my mom. And then like, as I get more awake and my conscious mind takes over, then I start overthinking things and, oh, I don't want to mispronounce this word. And how do I say this word? And how does this happen? Because the language is completely tonal. That's so that's it's like really it's nice. like singing, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. if you botch a word or if you say something with the wrong accent, you could actually be saying a different word than intended. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. in my dreams it's it's still English, sometimes Spanish, but what happens now is like when I if I try to speak if I try to speak in Spanish, I'll just I'll just speak to you in Spanish. If I try to speak Igbo, I'll be speaking Igbo and every time I run out of a word, I'll think of the Spanish word first which is really frustrating so like if someone could understand Igbo in spanish we'd have great conversation because i just mix the two right now I like yeah it's freaking annoying that's wild the way the brain kind of you know forces that or you know yes. but also can bring it back because like um my grandmother um before she passed uh had dementia all right mm -hmm. and like you know it it was gradual um you know a little bit here a little bit there but in the end it was really bad but oddly um, my grandmother played accordion and she also mm -hmm. played piano. Um, oddly, even as she was losing all of these memories of who people are and stuff like that, if she sat in front of a piano or she sat and picked up her accordion, flawlessly could play <laughs> anything. Like it's mm -hmm. still there. It's those neural pathways are that, that like ingrained. I find that stuff <laughs> utterly amazing. Isn't it crazy? Like, like completely it's fascinating. Like your brain isn't working right, except yes. for this this one small little thing. It's like, yes. oh no, I got this. Don't worry, we're good. Yeah. you know. And 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 in some ways, and I tell I tell this to people when I'm teaching, and they go like, and they look at me in shock, like I'm trying to say something rude, and I'm not. And people ask me, like, I'll play something, or they'll play something for me, and I'll just recite it back. And they're like, Have you heard that song before? I'm like, No, I haven't. They're like, Well, how did you know what to do? How did you play that? And all this stuff, and I say. I know this thing better than I know anybody else on earth, better than I know my wife. I spend more time with this than I spend with my family. And they're like, oh, you, you know, you don't say things like that. I'm like, well, I mean, even straight up, most people spend more time at work than they spend at home. That's right. So since this happens to be my work, then if I'm playing guitar for eight hours a day and then you come home and you see your family for three hours because people need to sleep, then the next day you do it again. So on average... You spend 40 hours with this instrument and 10 hours with your family per week or yeah. 20 hours even, but sure. still 40 versus 20, you know, the one number keeps adding up before I was with my wife, before I had children, anything like that. It was with this, especially in my, um, my semi sheltered childhood. Cause a girl would call to talk to me on the phone about whatever, you know, yeah. about Jesus and like five minutes later, my mom picks up the phone and goes, hello, young lady, have you conducted your business with my son? Right? 
So I have to get off the phone. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if I'm not out like skating or doing something like this, I'm probably in practicing or reading a book. But those were the things that occupied my time. And then because I homeschooled all through high school, when my mates are going to school for seven, eight hours a day, I'm getting my schoolwork done in three or four at the most. And then at the time, like some of, like some of those years, I was playing like between four and six hours a day, every day. So I had so much time on my hands to get good at an instrument or to just study it or just to learn how to love it, right? Everybody's concept of good keeps evolving. Sure. So all I wanted to do was like play like MXPX and like have my guitar like somewhere around like my knees because that's and like stand cool. And sing like this in an atonal voice because <laughs> it's so punk rock. Right? That's all I wanted to do. So when that was achieved, then you start like trying to find out what else you can do to, you know, push the limits of your supposed awesomeness. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, as you're um, kind of, you know, uh, taking the guitar and learning, you know, CDs worth of material and stuff mm -hmm. like that, what was kind of your gateway? Like, what was, was mm -hmm. there something that first like hit and you were like, oh, I need to learn everything yes. about this? Yes. So I think... I think it was, well, with saxophone, the stuff I was learning on saxophone was, um, was actually classical. So I was listening to a bunch of classical at the time, and then we would go to this, I don't even know if it's still there. There used to be, I know this isn't there, but back in the day, there used to be a James Way in Souderton. The Souderton exit off on 113, there was a James Way and an Ames across the street from each other or whatever. Uh -huh. and, and then there was a store, Fret's Music was a store near there. I used to take saxophone there, but kind of down the street a little bit, there was a strip of stores that were all owned by, I think there, most of them were like Mennonite owned, even though I think there was a Rudy's Pizza in there too. And there was a place called Providence, Provident or Providence Bookstore. And they had like, well, I'm old, so they had tapes. <laughs> they ended up having CDs. And it was the kind of thing where you remember you used to be able to go into a music store and like you could ask for like, oh, I want to listen to this one. And you go put it in and put your headphones on and yeah. just like so I saw this I saw this picture of um I saw this picture of MXPX's they had this character called like the Pokenacha Punk or whatever. And I saw this picture and I knew right away, I'm like, my mom's not going to like whatever this music is. And I wasn't doing it to spite her, but I needed to find out what that was. So I put this, this tape on. The tape was called, the album was called Pokenacha. And it was like the fast, like super horrible sounding, like, like really, like the distortion didn't sound like distortion. It just sounded like they're playing through like a, like a, a boss, like a metal zone type of thing. But I needed to learn how to play whatever that tone was. And this is still on bass, and they just rocked so hard. So that MXPX album, I was just like, okay, I need that. I need that. That was the thing that I knew. I didn't even know like what MXPX looked like at the time. I didn't know it was called punk music. I just knew that there was something that caught me with that type of sound. So this was before like metal. This was before really, really getting into like listening to a lot of jazz. I just wanted to play like that. So punk rock, I can say, is the first thing I ever that ever called me to, you know, probably put me in the position to end up playing music for a living. That was amazing. just listen to that. It was it was just it was glorious. So I didn't know anything about No Effects or any of those guys. I didn't know that the guys I was listening to listened to No Effects. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where people are like, oh, I hate the Beatles, and I. 
believe it or not, I'm not the biggest Beatles fan in general, but I know so much came out of the Beatles, and I listen to so many bands that I find out that the Beatles are their main influence. So kind of like, so when I was listening to punk rock that could be sold in like Christian stores, I didn't know that they're all listening to punk rock that's not in Christian stores, and they're kind of not ripping off of it, but that's what they're influenced by. So I ended up being able to learn that type of style of music without ever being in the actual real punk world if that makes sense that's it no that makes total sense (laughs) like that's that's really that's really awesome especially because um like of all bands mxpx like that's really that's that's like uh yes (laughs) it's pretty awesome (laughs) so um around this time are you um playing with anybody or like are you trying to start a band or anything like that or yeah the, the first band i was in like mxpx and playing on bass and back then i wasn't i had no intention of playing guitar i was just playing bass the guitar happened because i came i came upstairs at at a uh, at fret's music waiting for my parents to pick me up for my saxophone lesson and i heard somebody doing he was doing something like this He was doing that. He was playing um, Summertime. And it caught me. And I was like, oh, what's that? So after that, I went and I asked my sisters if I could use their guitar. And I started trying to find out where that was. Didn't end up playing in a band until I was... Well, besides like playing at church and playing right, bass right, or playing sure. saxophone for that. I didn't end up playing in a band until I was 16. So that was my first ever like band situation. It was one uh, one of the guys in the band was a kid that I'd known since we were like six from like, a church that I went to, and then we met this other kid when we were preparing. We did this thing where it's like um, it's not like big brother big sister, but it's like one of those things where kind of like a monk. Where like, okay, for this amount of time, you're going to keep this kind of grade average. You're not going to watch these kind of movies. You're going to do this. You're going to do this, 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 this. And the culmination is that you end up going to China for a month. So I did that when I was 16. We formed this band. So I'm playing guitar by then. My, one of my best mates, he ended up being my best man, is playing bass. And then we have a drummer. And he was super into Weezer. And I'd never heard of Weezer. So the, the only thing I knew about wheezing was like how asthmatic I was uh, <laughs> then and now. He's like, you ever heard of Weezer? You want to play some Weezer? I was like, I don't know what, what he's talking about. I heard the, the Blue album. And I was, I was taken aback at how, like, how great it was. But it was still, it's still kind of like called to like my punk rock sensibilities, even though it's not punk rock, but that kind of feel. So sure. that was the first time we were in a band. We named the band Love Lorne. Um, with no idea that there was a much larger hardcore band named Love Lorne. Oh, yeah. So when we found that out, we are like, oh, crap. So we changed it to Love Lore. So that was the first time I'd ever been in a band, first time I'd ever had to try and like write a tune like very specifically or like most of the lyrics. I always – I had this thing where I was playing music enough that I had this like – I feel like I still do sometimes. I always feel like – the level of the lyrics will not match the level of the musicianship. Okay. So, like, I'm going to sully this song by using this lyrics over it. This lyrics is much too trite for how much I love music. Yeah. So, my mate, he was had all these poems, and we'd put his poems to, like, music that he'd write and that I'd write. 
and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, sometime I'll, I'll, I'll share that with you or we'll have another one where like, I just play like all these random songs from my 16 year old self or something. I'm on like it. That. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that sounds That sounds fucking awesome. I would yeah. totally be into that. I will um, probably not play you the songs from when I was 16. <laughs> there's some embarrassing things in there. I wrote a song. I think it was like the second last podcast. I talked about the very first song I ever wrote. Now I'm talking about the second song I ever wrote. Um, was a country song called um, Al, Al Sprinkler, My Father's My Uncle. And it was all about like, um, uh, it, was, it was this weird like inbred yes. uh, country comedy song. And like uh, it ends with him going to a family reunion and everybody's hitting on him. Like it's like uh, this embarrassing kind of, um, yeah. But uh, so how, lo- how long was that band together? Like was mm. that... Uh, a good deal of time or yeah we played we played from i would say the age of 16 mostly on sometimes off didn't play loads of shows we're always jamming always rehearsing and all this stuff recorded some stuff probably till about uh at least i would say like till i was 19 maybe 20 19 was like a, a trying like another iteration of it. Um, the guitarist from that band, um, he he homeschooled as well, and he would have graduated with me. He would have graduated a year early. He still graduated, but he wasn't at it the graduation because he went on tour with a band called uh, Further Seems Forever. So okay. yeah, people might not that. know that band, but the singer of the band at that time is uh chris from dashboard confessional that's why i know that name okay so most people know the band that came after that which was dashboard so he was going on tour with them so when he was going on tour we were kind of taking a break and then um then my drummer i think my drummer got engaged maybe and then we started playing a little bit less and you know i'm doing stuff here and there but yeah it lasted until then we played a, a couple shows a couple nice ones we got to record um, so I got to find that album somewhere. It's, it's, it's embarrassing, but not, not because it sounds bad because I love to sing, but I don't necessarily like to hear my voice back. If that makes sense. It makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. I, um, have had people tell me, um, songs I've recorded. They're like, Oh, I could, I could believe I could hear this on the radio. Like it sounds that good. And mm-hmm. all I hear is like, no, it can't because I don't <laughs> either. I don't know how to record vocals or something yes. like something's wrong, but my voice yes. does not sound right. And yes. And like, I've heard live recordings of me and I don't have the same problem. It's only when I'm just recording like in a studio or something. Yes. I don't know what it is, but the voice just does not it doesn't compute. It's not yeah. what I'm, I'm used to hearing. And I know there's the whole, you know, bass of your head gives yes. your voice a different sound inside. But no, it just, I yeah. can't. Yeah, I'm like, oh, is that what I sound like? Oh. Yeah. And somebody's like, oh, I love that song. And I'm like, oh. like, I used to walk out of the room and somebody's playing it back. I'm like, just tell me if, if, if the notes are on key, if, that, if that's good, all right, we're good. But people are like, oh, you want to listen to this? And, I'm, you know, I got to give it another shot because I haven't recorded vocals as like the main singer in something in a long time i've done background since but never like yeah. never i mean that's soon to change I'm, I'm forcing myself by buying all this gear that i'm gonna start recording 
and uh, Mark Niebauer from uh, Good Morning D- Daydreamer, one of the bands I'm in, he says he's he's going to teach me. So he's going to give me awesome. uh, recording lessons. <laughs> you are like a um, uh, you have a long resume of bands, and um, it's one of the things that I, I absolutely adore um, is just your commitment to just like okay, I'm playing with these guys now. Like, um, <laughs> but um, when, when did um, movies with heroes? When did that um, uh. come about? Movies with Heroes happened in 2003, and that was when my friend Ian was still doing tours with Further Seems Forever. So Movies with Heroes had a little, like a small tour booked, and the, I think their guitarist quit like right before the tour, like maybe, maybe, maybe three weeks to a month before the tour was supposed to happen. So my friend Skip was playing for Further, um, on all their tours, but wasn't per se like on the records, like in, in the band in that kind of way. Okay. So they knew him as a fill in cause they, you know, and they called him and they're like, yo, can you, can you play for this tour? And he's like, actually, I'm going to be out. I can't, but my friend Chem, he can do it. Um, so I feel like the first time that I, I heard from them in 2003, I'm trying to remember how they got a hold of me. Cause I know this was like essentially before before myspace even so okay. i think like i got like an email or like a phone call or something like hey we're 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 movies with heroes and um we'd like you to to play and go on this tour i'd never been on tour before you know i'd never done like anything like like outside of the state like for multiple days so i'm super excited about it told my mom she was semi-excited my dad was not excited because it just sounded like you know like career musician stuff and i think he was trying to steer me away from that and i was uh i was 20 at the time and they send me they send me a, a cd and they said okay all your parts are going to be panned such and such which kind of worked out for me because i had a broken cos cd player that was a hand-me-down from my friend Ian, and only the left side worked anyway. So I, I, I knew like mad albums, but just like the one guitar, I didn't even know there was another guitar. Uh, <laughs> so thankfully, that was panned left. So at this time, I'd already been, I told you how I learned an album. So yeah. they sent me these songs with, uh, to get familiar with them. I thought they sent me these songs to learn them. So I learned 10 songs cold. Every note, I'm playing it every day, doing all this stuff. I go to the to the rehearsal, which is like slash tryout, and they're like, "Okay, um, which song do you want to? Which song would you like to to learn first? I said, uh, "We we can we can play them," because I thought I thought they're like testing me. Yeah, and, and they're like, "Wait, what do you mean? You're like you learned them?" I'm like, "Yeah, I learned them. You sent me the CD. That's what I'm supposed to do is learn them, right?" So it ended up working out. I went on that tour with them um, as a as a fill in. But then they liked me and I liked them. So they asked me to start playing in that band on, on the regular. So that band is from Lancaster. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I was living in Quakertown. So Quakertown, my house in Quakertown is 100 miles one way from Lancaster. So every Monday night, I would drive. <laughs> I would leave Monco. I'd come home. And then I'd drive 100 miles and have a three-hour rehearsal and then drive 100 miles back. Wow. Um, I didn't even think of it as a wow. Like, now that I'm older, yeah. now I'm like, oh, I, I guess that's kind of there. Like, well, I, I guess that is kind of wow. Yay. But at the time, like, 
I'm living in Quakertown. My parents are teaching at Monco. I'm going to Monco. So it's a 40-minute drive, and we don't even blink at that. So an hour and a half to get to go play music? Sure. Nothing. So I'm doing that on a semi-regular basis. 2006 comes along. We tour for a month in Europe. Um, that whole further seems forever thing just keeps coming back into my life because this time there was going to be a tour of what's called Fields Forever. There was this band called Sensefield, and the lead singer of Sensefield became the lead singer of Further Seems Forever, and then they started doing like mashups of their songs after Further broke up. So they would do these things called Fields Forever, and they do the tours in mostly Europe, some shows in the States, but they were really huge in Europe. So they ask if they ask if uh, our, our, uh, the leader, the owner of our, our record label that we're on from Lancaster, He's also a tour manager. They ask him to manage a certain tour, and he says, yeah, can I bring uh, one of my bands along? I'll do it if I can bring one of my bands, which was us. But then they had a fill-in for half the tour, but not for the second half. So they asked me to do half, and they're like, you know what? Why are we asking you to do half when we can just ask you to do the whole thing? So ended up that I, they sent me a, a VHS with some of the songs on there. And then they sent me a couple, like a CD with a couple of their live versions of it. And then some, just the old version that said, okay, learn this and we'll like piece it together. So, uh, I was already in school for jazz at the time. And the guitarist from further is also, he has like a master's degree in jazz. So he's like, we'll get it done. And then we just started, like I rehearsed it by myself without them. And then the first time that we all played was the first day of the tour that happened in, in Jersey. So that was delicious for me. Like I got to play two sets a night. So first set is my band, heavily distorted rock and roll stuff. And then the second set, wipe myself down, get back on stage and I play acoustic guitar for like an hour and a half. So like <laughs> life couldn't have been better than playing two, two shows, two sets a night with two different bands. Like, yeah, so that was movies. And that was the probably... Probably one of my greatest musical experiences with that summer, but that was also the time that we, I probably came, up until now, the closest to being like proper signed. Like the, uh, the president of our CEO of Epic Records was flirting with us, like really liking our stuff, and it was great, and we're close, we're close. And then, and then he gets the sack, uh, so he's fired. Uh. And like it was one of those things where the new guys, like, I'm just going to try to circle the wagons. I'm not going to, you know, put myself out there and sign any yeah. bands because that's just too risky. And this was like, we didn't know it at the time, but this was, I guess, like the beginning of the end for like record labels and signing bonuses. And, oh, like you can get signed and buy your house and, you know, make a yeah. living off of just like selling records. Like, so it was right when like CDs, not the CDs were in the clunker yet, but streaming became popular, record labels kind of died. And then, and then the technology was there that you don't necessarily need to have a record label to give you 30 grand to go record with this person. Now, like, you have a pretty powerful computer and now you can, you know, because yeah. with movies, that's what we were doing. We were recording all the stuff ourselves. Only time we sent something out was when we got three songs mixed by, um, I always say his name wrong, Ed Rose. Um, he's a producer that produced like the Get Up Kids oh, okay. and a bunch of like emo bands at that time, well, yeah. along with like some rock and roll stuff. So oh, that's awesome. During that time, so like th that sounds like it all happened so incredibly fast too. Yeah. Like you know, like yeah. hey, come here, and then all of a sudden, let's go to Europe, and then now yes. you're playing in two bands. <laughs> um, could you even appreciate it 
at that time or was it like just overwhelmed like were you just like all right let me just ride this and see where this goes and uh, I, I think so i think because of the it's europe is strange sometimes that you have a european tour and people might like you enough that they want to we got signed like the record got picked up by rude records and stuff like that but when we we're playing in the states you know you're playing you know half the half the dates on your tour are those shows where you end up just playing for the other bands and yeah. like nobody shows up and you're you're calling your girlfriend now wife and like hey um this random person um asked us like said like hey you want to sleep over at our house and it's nothing weird um but they, yeah we don't know them but they she just said hey can you you can sleep at my house so I, I sleep in the van um and like you know put in touring with different bands and putting 12 dudes in a motel room so even though like you're playing all these shows you're not making any money so when things are moving quickly they're kind of not in a way yeah. Like the European tour seems like absolutely amazing. Even though I, I think I came back with, I came back with like negative money. Um, even though I would, I would never train that experience for the world. I, my, my girlfriend, now wife, um, she lent me 900 bucks to buy my round trip uh, ticket. So she gives me 900. What's that? <laughs> that yes. when you knew you were like, yes. yeah, all right. No, I, I told her, and they're like, that. they're like, yo, you need to, you need to marry this girl, man. Like, <laughs> she's supporting your craft. So she gives me nine hundred bucks to to do this thing, and it was one of those times where it 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 didn't make me any money, but it did give me some some clarity uh, in a strange way. And and one way is that I at the time I was it was two thousand six. So I was I was 23 and I suffered from unbelievable amounts of heartburn at the time. Okay. So I'm at Temple. I'm taking 18 credits. I am in that band that's 100 miles away. I have a girlfriend that lives in Allentown at the time and then in Bethlehem. So I would wake up, go to Temple for the day, come back, work at the YMCA in Lansdale from, you know, three to six in this after school program. Then I would drive to Allentown, hang out with her, drive back to Quakertown and wake up the next morning and do the whole process again. Right. So I'm being stretched crazy thin. I just thought I suffered from heartburn, like, like the kind that's like, you're going to burn a hole in your esophagus type of thing. Yeah. I just thought that was, that was regular. I went to Europe, no heartburn for 30 days. So j just because like my, my stress was down. Yeah. And then um, I didn't mention this before, but <laughs> my wife just did a funny move. Um, I didn't mention this before, but my father, his degree, his, his doctorate is in geophysics. So geophysics is like plate tectonics and reading for earthquakes and all this stuff. But he and one of his friends happened to z devise a new way of searching for oil. So when I lived in all those places overseas, I'd live in the Middle East, but my dad would be in Yemen, Egypt, Saudi, this place, this place, this place, this place, this place, kind of overseeing things. He's the nerd that goes into a room full of tycoons and says, according to my calculations, <laughs> but he doesn't wear glasses, if you drill here, there's oil. So it was a lucrative job for my family at the time. So we were traveling all around. So I had never known what not travel was till we came to Pennsylvania and actually stayed put for a while. We did some trips to Nigeria, but that's all we could do. So for me to get to travel, which is like 
the best thing for my family. That's what we do. And then to play music, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is the thing. And by then, I already had planned on going to school for music. Um, so I, I know I already was. I was already in the jazz program during that tour. But up until that point, I, on a couple tours, I was like, oh, I, I think I want to do this all the time. I think this is what I can see myself doing 50 years from now. So that's kind of when it was slowly dawning on me that that's what I wanted to do. I didn't know in what capacity I was going to be doing it. But it, I don't think it moved. Now when I look back on it, I'm like, oh, my gosh. This, you know, you see how close you were to something? But at yeah. the time, it didn't feel like it moved too fast because we felt like, like, like we earned this. You know, blood, sweat, and tears and all these tours and our van breaking down in the middle of this and all that kind of, you know, all those real band stories. So we thought like it was, it was our time to shine. It kind of was. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> so um, I, I recently saw that post on Facebook. Um, what what brought the band to the end? Just uh, life? Like, was it just? Uh... Yeah, I, I think like we we set some we set some uh, ultimatums for ourselves. Like, OK, if we're putting our all into this, we want to see something happen by such and such date. And for me, it was that. I was in jazz school. I was getting straight A's, but because of all the traveling I was doing and because of where my mind was divided, I wasn't I wasn't doing badly in the music part of it. But if I'm paying a lot of money for music education and I'm getting by essentially, I wanted to be able to pour myself into it. And if I wasn't pouring myself into it, I wanted a reason to justify it or a reason to I wanted to be put in a position where I'd have to quit school. And that at the time meant getting signed. Like where yeah. something real is going to happen. You're going to have real tour support. Somebody's going to be behind you putting a lot of money behind your band so you can go and do that kind of thing. So if not, I wanted to pursue my schooling, um, pursue my relationships. Because at the time, you know, everything that I did and every relationship that I had was subject to what I was doing musically. So if we have a date set for this date, if I get a go if I get a gig, if I get a uh, anything, I'm I'm taking the gig. That's how it was then. And at some point I had to start to decide what you know, what kind of relationships I would have and what kind of person I would be later. You know, so that's when all that came together. So I, I left at the end at the end of the summer of 2006 kind of when we said like august 2006 the band still continued on in some shape or form i believe till 2008 okay i think that's when that happened so there were like one or two more european tours a couple fill-ins of some people you know but and then like i feel like jeremy's last show the drummer was i can't remember if he left the same time i did but I don't think, no, his last show and my last show were different. I came in and played on a couple of tunes. And I feel like that was a cut, like maybe the next year afterwards, like 2007, I did something like that. Um, but I think that's kind of what I wanted to pursue that other part of my life. Jeremy, the drummer, was just having a kid um, with his wife. So, and then the, the other two guys, their, their lives, they were able to continue it for a little bit longer. So it wasn't necessarily like, oh, I, I need to go legit now. I just knew I was spending so much money at Temple. Well, it felt like so much money for me. Temple's a nice and expensive place. <laughs> but I wanted to like really like put everything I could into that. Because 
I had never played jazz before that point. I'd never played jazz on saxophone. So I'm in this program. All the kids that are around me, they all did jazz band through high school. That was my only regret. I, I didn't do jazz band. I didn't do marching band. Um, so I had to like, I was at a deficit in terms of jazz, not in terms of performance. The stage, yeah, that's where I get to express myself. Um, I don't mind performing. Every time I would get the juries at the end, every semester you have to play in front of judges at the end, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And they'd always say, great solo, very musical, more vocabulary. So I could play a solo, I could put on a show, but I wasn't really, I wasn't really playing it in, in the jazz form. I wasn't playing enough jazz vocabulary. So I started really wanting to work on that. Like, if I'm going to do this, I might as well. I never necessarily intended on being solely a jazz musician. I just thought that that was going to prep me the most for being able to do anything musically. Yeah, I mean, the, the yeah. improvisation in jazz totally yeah. equips you to be able to just be as versatile as possible. Yeah, yeah, that's all I wanted. I just wanted to play music. That's all. Yeah, so, so <laughs> how does jazz and punk... How does that segue into metal? Like how? Uh, uh, <laughs> so metal had always been, not always been, metal had been something that I heard and I just, I think I liked the, I think I liked the over the topness of it. Mm -hmm. um, meaning punk rock at its, at its core is supposed to be like super raw really unpolished talk about what i'm feeling <clears throat> right with jazz it's like the height of like being able to improvise and all this stuff but with metal it had the elements of the classical stuff i was already playing mm -hmm. with saxophone just like or utter like shredding and i just i just loved like the i think i think it really was the the theater of it you know, so you grow your hair out, you got fans blowing on you, and, you know, being a brown person with curly hair, like, I was never going to get to do the long hair thing, but I imagined it, you know, <laughs> like what I would do with flowing hair. And then the stuff that I liked as a kid were super over the top. Like, I loved He-Man. And He-Man, even if there's not metal music in it necessarily, it's so metal. He-Man's like, metal. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, this, oh my God. this sword and this thing and this outfit, I'm going to push You know, like, it's just, so I already liked that world. He rides on a giant cat. That's metal <laughs> as fuck. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so this, this, is, this is me. And then my family, I already told we like, we're super dramatic. I had no brothers. I have sisters. So I was able to be, like, really, like, just express myself. If something bothered me at home, like, I was allowed to cry about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So being like really like like oh my god like like you know I so I was into like some hair stuff and again I told you I couldn't listen to any music that wasn't that wasn't Jesus music. Right. That being said, thankfully, guitar shred is guitar shred. You know what I mean? So there was this band called White Cross, and if you listen to the guitars, like if I played you some of their songs, like it is like face melting like virtuosity type of stuff, and I couldn't play it. And I never actually learned at first to play. I just liked listening to it. So I would go to Franconia Park in Satterton with my headphones on and my little cassette tape player, just like walking. Cause my parents would go, it's very important to walk. You need to walk. So we'd all go like on a family walk and I'm listening to White Cross, just like having my mind blown by all this sh shredding. So first time I took a guitar lesson was uh, a dude came to our house and 
He showed me like a lick from this band called Tourniquet. That was another metal band. And he also showed me the opening lick for Enter Sandman. Bear in mind that he showed me this lick and I'd never heard the song before. Nor did I hear the song for years later. I just learned the boom, 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 that kind of thing. Yeah. He showed me some like how to do palm mutes because I didn't know what palm mutes were. I didn't know you needed distortion for it because I've been playing on an acoustic up until like just recently. So I just got like the sound of it was something that was amazing. And I always listened to it. I always sang along with it, but I never played any metal in like a band setting until like two... 2016 okay it was the first time i was ever in a metal band was that Even uh, though dismal? that was dismal yeah yeah so i'd always listen to punk rock gave way into hardcore so i go to hardcore shows all the time my i, you know, I even dress like hardcore but like the kind like the emo looking hardcore guy so not the not the shorts and the backpack and the hoodie but like the white v-neck t-shirt and the pants cuffed to like this kind of thing and like really uh -huh. nice italian shoes kind of hardcore like it was like the nicer dressed kind like and it kind of gave way to metalcore and all that so i've been listening to that stuff and those kinds of bands for years you know shy hulud um you know like figure four hate Bree, like all these like you yeah. know go to i went to furnace fest in um in 2000 when did i go to furnace fest i think it was in yeah, it wasn't in, in 2000. Like, just seeing all these bands, and that that's the stuff I listened to, played a little bit, but never, like, all-out metal. I'd never been in a metal band. Most of the stuff I was in, even Love Lore, was, like, kind of Weezer, and then started evolving. I started listening to a lot of Pink Floyd, and started getting kind of kind of proggy, as in, like, I wrote a song that was in 5-4, and, like, yeah. started getting into, like, trying to put that kind of stuff in, and just I just wanted to play, like, Floyd and use a lot of reverb. Um, so metal was, was always a love, but never an actively like play in it. Yeah. So when I got the opportunity to join that band, like it, it really kicked my butt. Like I'd never had to play, I'd never had to play that distorted and that clean in my entire life. Cause when you're playing like movies with heroes, we're playing through Marshall stacks and you know, it's over the top and it, you know, I use, I had a lot of chops in that band, but you got to be like clangy and kind of jangly in a way right. because it's supposed to be full of emotion and it's supposed to be, you know, we're like post emo kind of like hardcore sounds, but you didn't have to be perfectly clean, even though you were metal. It's like machine gun exact. I'd never had to play like that in a band until that band. So that, that was, that was a learning experience for me. That's probably why I did it as well. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I'd been, I'd been living in Bethlehem I've been teaching and yeah I was teaching at the time not I wasn't working in sales at George's anymore and I was just doing that and it was actually my wife when I got the opportunity she's like you should you should take that you should you should you should join you should go to the you should go to the uh the tryout oh my gosh like I, I even know like 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 I didn't know I could get that worked up in terms of nerves of playing music yeah to go and like have this tryout with everybody all these guys that are 10 years younger than me and try to like play the stuff that I've never played with a with an eight string like and trying to like put yeah. in like a drop tuning and it was it was utter madness, um, but fun a lot of that's, fun. That's awesome. So you know you just said working sales in George's and I literally just looked down at my floor and I just put something together and that is that I'm pretty sure before we met right yes that, yes hold on this is gonna take a second here that. 
gotta unplug some things. That you sold me this trio pedal. I did. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you were like, dude, you gotta check this out. This thing's amazing. The way. It how no, weird is that? I, I totally did. I totally did. And like I've been I've been working on myself in that uh I I don't tell people everything that I remember about them. Uh, like it's a it's a thing I've been working on recently because I I um I found out that I might have a couple drops of like they call them like super memorizers or whatever. Yeah, like I would you... I would guess that as you're playing entire CDs of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, I think you've already admitted to yes, that. But, yes. um... So I, I I made I made a kid cry once, and he wasn't a kid. We were we were in our twenties, and I saw him at a at a diner. And I walked up to him and I, I said like, hey, and I said his name and he's just looking at me blankly. So what I did to try to make him feel more comfortable was I began to recite more things about him so he'd know that I was a true friend. And, I, and <laughs> we used to take like standardized tests together. So I may or may not have told him his sister's name and told him where he lived and told him like his friends names and told him like what car he came into my sister's birthday party that was at this park and like 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 everything about him he starts crying oh my god like he's like i don't know you man like this <laughs> and i had never experienced that kind of thing before so now a lot of times when i'm in situations where i remember something very clearly i i kind of I play dumb a little bit. Like, I don't yeah. tell him. Yeah. And then people are like, hey, are you? And I'm like, what? I think I do remember that. So I can be normal yeah. and not freak anybody out. Yeah. So, like, I'll see kids that, that I had in kindergarten at the YMCA. And I'll be walking in the mall. And I'm like, and I'll say their name. And they're like, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Stranger Danger. I forgot. I forgot. Like, Mr. Chem? And I'm like, and my wife's like, oh, because this is, this is what I do. I just, I like, I don't like remembering people. I just do. You kind of just associate it with that. So, yes, I did tell you that. No, that's amazing. Yeah, it's really funny. Like, right as you said that, like, I was like looking down and I was like, oh, my God, I'm pretty sure. And then, yeah. Yeah, awesome. I loved that job. I never use it. Um, <laughs> that's not true. success that's not true i use it i i use it to just jam but like yeah or practically use it i guess is what i'm getting at but um yeah so um you're now are you now currently playing still with aaron west um, yes that's still going on i've been listening to some of that stuff and i listened to the the asbury park live album it's, hey. it's so good and Thank um you, man. you recently shared that video of you opening the vinyl for the first time yeah. and that was like one of my favorite things i've seen um but oh, thank did, you, man. How, it, how did come in, uh, that come about, like playing uh, playing there? That one's a, a really random story. It, it, it came about by two things. Uh, the lead singer of that band, uh, Dan Campbell, and I happened to be in a badminton class together at Monco that we were both taking. He was taking as an elective. And funnily enough, when you talk about like serendipitous events, I was taking it for the second time, not because I failed it. But the second time I was auditing it, I had so much fun in the class. My parents both teach at Monco. I'm not paying for Monco, right? So I just decided to take the class again because it was like, it was also a weightlifting class. So it kind of forced me to be in the gym. And like back then I was still like, even though I was doing musical stuff, I still had this idea that maybe like if I stayed swole enough, like maybe I could walk on at whatever, wherever I transferred to, I still had dreams of playing like football. So I'm like, like no neck 
type of te- type of time. And he and I are in this class together. And I'd seen him around because I've been to shows and he was in the scene. I'd seen him back when he was in the band called The Premiere. Then fast forward one bajillion years. I saw him a couple times at, at Temple. I think he was an English major and I was in music. Sam on and off. Hey, man. Chemina, right? Hey, Soupy, right? And, and they would go on from there. Then I had done some stuff with a friend of mine named Eric Sirianni. And somehow Dan knows Eric. Eric is one of those guys in the music scene that just knows everybody. So... He's on Eric's website and listed under my name, unbeknownst to me, Eric lists vocals, guitar, saxophone. So that, uh, what is that, nine-letter word? <laughs> Dan, I'm just out of the blue. I see that um, the Wonder Year starts following me. And I'm like, wait. So I go, and they have like half a bajillion followers but they don't yeah. follow many people so i'm like this is weird and then out of the blue i get a dm says hey this is dan and i was wondering if uh you'd be interested in playing this new year show and possibly playing on this record and i hadn't played saxophone on even a semi-regular basis in years by this time like i hadn't played at all so i get this thing i tell my wife about it. i'm like yeah that's so nice like he found out about it from Eric on the website, so I'm just going to tell him no and be like, I don't play anymore. And my wife's like, you better say yes. <laughs> so uh, everybody's like, is your wife Batman? But like, no, when, she, when she's, she's like, I think I don't, like she's like, if it's good, good cop, bad cop or whatever, like I'm like, oh, thank you. And she's like, do it. So she told me to take this, to do this thing. I break out my saxophone and start learning songs from the stuff they sent me this is the set list we have one rehearsal maybe before this new year's show and they wanted me to play tenor but i didn't own a tenor so i play this show have one of the best times that i've had in years it was just one of those times where you're so used to shows being this kind of fly-by-night type of thing that you hope works so it was very strange to be a part of something that was so organized, like so sold out. The, the show is sold out. This many people are going to be here. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. When we come at this time, this is going to happen. This is going to be where we're going to be for the green room. This is, you know, just like scheduled yeah. Yeah. and like and everything working. And on top of that, they're supposed to pay you money afterwards. Like when you're a musician, you're used to giving people money so that you can play. Like that's how yeah. much I want to play. Yeah. Right. So that happened, and then he's like, yeah, this is great. I'd love, love for you to get to play on the record. So on that day, January or December 31st, he hands me a tenor saxophone. Unfortunately, the guy who owns this tenor saxophone um, developed something with his lungs that he can't play saxophone anymore. So it's like a long-term borrowing mint, and I'm playing this horn that I'd never played before. I'd never played tenor a day in my life. He gives me the horn. First time I play it is January 2nd. <laughs> January 14th, we're in the studio recording an album, and I'm supposed to play tenor on this thing, right? So when you talk about things moving quickly, like my wife's just like, yeah, that's about right, because this is the kind of stuff that happens to me for some reason. Yeah. So I get to play on this record and have this thing frozen in time. The record seems to be a hit on the scene, so we end up getting to play a couple shows 
And then we are supposed to play this these two shows in Asbury Park. And that's where this, this live thing came from. So I find it hilarious that full, you know, full circle, I go and get a degree in guitar. I break myself to play this instrument. Still am. And the thing in which I'm in something that's, you know, not in quotes, the most successful thing I've ever been a part of is the instrument that I started learning because I didn't want to play piano like my sisters. And it's the instrument that my parents, that saxophone, Gemini, you, you have a special anointing for the saxophone. Like, this is my parents' dream instrument. The thing that I didn't play for years is the thing that is actually like, I'm actually making some money off of it and being in something that's successful at all this guitar time. I'm not saying it's not successful, but it's just hilarious. But it's, yeah. I told my wife, like the first, right before I played that show, I said, wouldn't that be funny if this thing actually worked and it's on the thing that I play the least? <laughs> the least. Yeah. So I'm a saxophone awesome. and banjo player in this band. And, uh, oh yeah, I had to, I got to learn banjo too. So he said, um, he asked me, there's banjo on the record. So he said, would you mind playing it live? Have you ever played banjo? I said, no. He said, would you play banjo? I said, uh, I'm eating if you're treating. So if you provide the banjo, I'll, I'll play it. So I got to like, you know, another excuse to get to learn. Like, I don't know how to play the banjo necessarily. I can, I could gun to my head. I could play it, but I know how to play the songs on the record. So that's, it's, it's just fun. It's just strange and fun. See, it's funny because you say, you know, how do these things keep happening where, you know, it's just so quick and all they, they keep happening because you can do it. That's the, <laughs> I mean, that's the, there's no one else who can pull that off. That's you, you know, like that's why it keeps happening because you are very successful at like, to me, it sounds like that's even when you shine, like when you are put on that spot and that, you know, you have to produce, you do it. Thank and that's, you. You do Thank the work. You. You know, no, and you've I, done the work to get there to do it. So. I think I think I might agree with you. I think that's why I'm forcing myself to do this stuff because I don't normally. I seem to like to be. I I I don't like to be put under pressure. But when I do, that's when I something happens. So that's why I'm like, I'm gonna buy this mic. I'm going to do this. I'm going to spend money on it. So if I don't, now I feel. I feel bad, <laughs> and then like it'll it'll force me to do it. Or half the time, if I'm not wanting to, then my wife makes me do it. She's yeah. like, you, you should do this. This will be good for you. I think you should do it. I have a good feeling about this. So the, the thing that I've tried to do, the thing that I've tried to build my musical career around, um, especially as an older person, uh, people always ask me, and my wife knows this, and anybody who knows me from before knows this too, people always ask, like, you know, What's the uh, people that are single, like, what's the this when you get married? Or what's the this or what's the that when you have kids and all this stuff? And I tell them straight up, the thing that I had to get to come to terms with at first, with being in like a long-term relationship, ending up married and stuff like that, is if I do this thing, I may not become the greatest guitarist that ever lived. Right. And they start laughing. Yeah. But these are like seriously the thoughts that you have yeah. or the thoughts you kind of need to have if you're going to excel. But the thing that I wanted to do, no matter what, because I've been you get to know a lot of musicians, you got to have a lot of different teachers, meet a lot of different people. The thing that I've refused to do with any type of gaining of skill is to I've refused to treat people differently because of that skill, if that makes sense. No. Yeah. Absolutely. So I know so many dudes that can really, really play well. But I would never recommend them to anybody outside of their talent because they're just, they're just not nice people. And I understand that when you do this thing, I think it, it, 
you have to go out of your way to be nice because you get so involved with working on something for yourself and most of the time you spend is for yourself and by yourself and working on this craft and most of the time you are correct most people won't understand you most people you know as a teacher the reason I enjoy teaching so much well I love getting to show just a little bit of something to somebody but the other thing that makes it fun for me is that I am under the firm belief that almost no one likes it as much as I do in terms of my students so I'm not beating on them that they need to practice for four hours a day because that's the only way you're gonna most of them aren't planning on doing anything with it more than just enjoying themselves right yeah so you don't need to be a jerk <laughs> in fact it actually helps out if you are nice because then more grace is given to you in that when I joined the metal band I couldn't I could play guitar well but I couldn't play metal as well as somebody else but I think they liked me and I happened to also play guitar because yeah. you can kind of fit yourself to what works for them when I played saxophone and tenor for two weeks before being on a record I tried to play my best but I, I kind of thought of like what not to play so I don't put myself in a position to mess it up so if you listen to that record the the first record even on even the live one you're going to hear me playing a lot of stuff that if i were in a choir i'd be playing the alto parts they help keep it together but they don't stand out you keep it together because that's all i knew on the horn at that time the only notes i could play that weren't going to squeak the solo that was an anomaly i i just like he told me i needed to play a solo like clarence and I just started listening to no Springsteen no and I'm like, I'm like, please. Like, so I started trying to listen to kind of his style and just like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I didn't really get to put the solo together until we were supposed to record it. And they're like, go in there and, and do a take. And I'm like, come on, don't squeak. Come on, keep it together. Just for that moment. I need like 20 seconds of this whole thing working for me. But you just, you be nice <laughs> just yeah. like relate to people as a human being and appreciate them in that kind of way and I feel like that has given me more opportunities than just being skillful at something because then maybe the next person will mention you and be like yeah he's actually fun to work with you know what I mean yeah because I have a couple lists I have the fun to work with people and sometimes they don't have the same skill as another group of people I have the amazing players that are also nice and then there's the amazing players who you only ask if you're really really desperate for somebody on a gig and you're like oh my gosh I'm gonna call this guy uh hey uh friend <laughs> you know because you, you know they're not nice and you don't want them to meet your children and like <laughs> uh -huh. so i just tried to like like that's why that's what struck me about when i met you i was like this guy's good and this guy is nice <laughs> <laughs> but those two don't go together in our yeah. world yeah they usually don't so like i met you and i'm like he loves music i think he loves music as much as i love music and I think we can talk about it and be brown and be nerds and not have any of it be like, oh, why do you like that? Right. And why do you like this thing? And why are you dressed like this? And what kind of band is that? And you play guitar? Like, no, you, you play keyboards, don't you? You're a drummer, aren't you? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the whole premise of this whole thing that I've been doing is <laughs> I'm just tired of people. I'm tired. I'm honestly just tired of like the idea of a guilty pleasure. Like, I don't yes. like it. I'm like, just, yes. just say you like something. It's fine. Yes. You know, yes. it doesn't have to be great. You don't have to say it's the greatest thing ever or anything. Just, I like yes. that. And just, yes. Like it, yes it, it, it's only i've only gotten i feel like i've only gotten comfortable i've always been some type of of nerd 
but I've I've been a nerd hiding in like a like a, an athlete's body, so it let me get away with being nerdy and not necessarily having to show it. Yeah. But like in my thirties, I feel like the thing I've learned is just like owning it. Yeah. Yes, I like that show. Yeah, I watch anime. Yeah, I'm a grown up. You know, but like first of all, anime is not anime is not for kids, anyways. And then if we, if you go back long enough with cartoons, adults are watching the cartoons in the movie theaters, not the kids. Yeah. Oh right? my god. Yeah. So like. But like, you know, before I'd have to feel like, oh, maybe I, oh, I can't say that. Like, oh, I got to kind of defend myself. And then being like a, like a black dude, like people have all these preconceived notions of what I am. And then sometimes it's easier or it was easier to just kind of be that like a little bit. You know what I mean? Instead of just being like fully me. So, you know, my wife, my wife lets me be myself and she let me know that I didn't have to be. The thing she said that kind of influenced my my musical career as well and like how I was trying to live my life. She said, you don't have to be perfect. And no one had ever, maybe people had said that to me before, but it never hit like that. And like it it broke me down. Like, I mean, like like crying, like sobbing tears because I realized that I was trying to like live this thing. Not like I was trying to live this straight laced life, but everything I thought had to be done to the complete nth degree and there was no room for any type of compromise in myself and all this stuff and it caused me a lot of stress and a lot of strain and coming full circle now getting to enjoy it again when I graduated from Temple um, after like I'd gone straight from movies with hero stuff into Temple into finally getting that degree that quote unquote helped me leave that band and when the end of that happened I stopped playing I put my guitar under my bed and that was about it. So my wife's still trying to like coax me into playing or doing something. I I will play now and then, but it wasn't anything that I was doing on a regular basis. I graduated in 2009, didn't play for like six months, then did something, but wasn't really playing in a band anymore. I wasn't doing anything, nothing until, um, actually that's how I feel like I ended up meeting you again through that. I got that gig, prism, uh, at prism. Yeah. So I called up two of my two of my um, schoolmates at Temple, and I was like, "Yo, you wanna you wanna play a gig on a regular basis on Thursdays?" So we just started playing this jazz gig, and anything else we wanted to do ended up like I'm in that band. I'd already played with them like once or twice. No, no, this was before. I ended up playing with them. Now we're in this band, Good Morning Daydreamer. And uh, my home is the C is that drummer from the Prism gig and the the bass player, the upright bass player in that band. And Good Morning Daydream actually doesn't play bass, even though he has a degree in bass. The drummer has a degree in drums and I have a degree in guitar, but he plays like guitar and keyboards. So that band kind of came out of that relationship of seeing them week in, week out. And that was kind of my entrance back into playing music on a regular basis was that gig. So awesome yeah it all comes back it really does you know well at this time i'm gonna have to put you through the jauntlet all um, right these all right, are all right. I, I i've kind of switched things around um very very uh, minor tweak we're gonna okay. do the one hit wonders first before we go into the top 10 countdown okay but the right. one hit wonders <laughs> which will be interesting um uh since you have such a wide eclectic uh taste here we mm-hmm. go first one sammy hagar or david lee roth Oh shoot! Um, I'm going. Hmm. I'm gonna say David Lee Roth. Yeah, good answer. Yeah. Good answer. Uh, <laughs> Biggie or Tupac? Oh man. Okay. 
Um, I'm going to say Tupac. Okay. All right. That's two for mm-hmm. Pac, one for Biggie uh, so far <laughs> now, episode three. Uh, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Hmm. Hmm. Funnily enough, I like neither of them. Okay. But if I could only have one, I would have, I would have Nirvana. Okay. All right. Uh, Beatles or the Stones? Wow. These are good. These are good. Um, Stones. Yeah. Good answer. Um, as a kind of subtext of that one, uh, do you have a favorite Beatle? I know you said you're not really a Beatles guy, but do you have a favorite Beatle? Um, I, I think being and trying to be a semi-career musician, um, I would say Paul McCartney, uh, because he was never a bass player, but he played bass for that band. Yeah. And then he got pretty good at piano. And then he did something in his own right and then continued and then continued and then continued. His longevity is sure. amazing. Yeah, yeah. So Paul McCartney, I would say. Great answer. Final one hit wonder, mm-hmm. Prince or MJ? Ooh. Um, I'll be honest about this one. I'm going to now say Prince because the more and more I find out about the other things Michael Jackson did, the more and more I can't listen to his music. Yeah. That yeah. being said, I used to be, when we lived in the Middle East, and my mom would be in the supermarket, we lived in like a compound, an international compound, but we'd have to go out of it to go to the supermarket. I would stand up in the cart and I couldn't sing any Michael Jackson again. I wasn't listening to that kind of music, but it would be on in the store. And I would, I would, you know, three-year-old break dance in the cart for all these, uh, all these Muslim folk to come and watch me dance. And I was, I was the top of the pops then. So I thank, I thank him for that. And the music was good, but maybe I don't have to feel bad because Quincy Jones wrote most of it anyway. So. That's right. And Rod yeah. Templeton, don't don't yes. talk about yes. Rod Templeton. Um, <laughs> All right, so those were the one-hit wonders. Here is the top 10 countdown. Uh, oh, shoot. Oh, shoot! Here we go. Okay. What, was your, what was your first John? What was the first thing that like really just grabbed you? It can be anything. It doesn't have to be music. could be music. could be a song. Just what was the first thing that really hmm. hit you in your face? Um, the first thing that hit me really, really hard that I couldn't stop listening to uh, was this band called Sunny Day Real Estate. Uh, and the album was How It Feels to Be Something On. That's That album is like my favorite album of all time, type of like best band. Oh my gosh, like I saw him live and I'm going to cry about it type of thing. And I, I get emotional about music, but that guy, like it takes the cake. So yeah, uh, yeah, How It Feels to Be Something On. All right. Number two, what is your current, John? What are you, what are you vibing right now? Mm. Can be anything. Um, yes. So what I've been doing... I didn't get to mention it before, but I am, uh, I've been playing guitar so much that my body's been starting to kind of form different like chronic habits. I didn't know my elbow problems are from guitar playing and sitting like just so for hours. Uh, I went to the chiropractor and he popped both my shoulders back into place and we're retraining them how to be in socket. And I didn't know they've been out of socket for years, maybe. Uh, So my current thing, I've been trying to listen to a lot of music but i won't go too far into it but my current thing is playing scales in groups of five playing a scale on two different strings at the same time kind of overlapping yeah yeah 
Yeah, that's 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 like I'm like obsessed with this idea. It's from Kurt Rosenwinkel is this jazzer and on this song called Minor Blues. That's my, that's my, that's my thing right now. The solo he takes on Minor Blues, he does this thing where he's doing that groups of five rapidly and it's just a way I've never thought about the guitar before and it's delicious. I mean it stumps that, me too. That is awesome. <laughs> Number 3, what was your first concert? First concert. <laughs> this is gonna be great. Okay, first concert um, was here in PA. It was at, I think it was actually at the Spectrum. But and the reason I say I think it was actually at the Spectrum, I was seven, so I didn't know where we went. I just knew we rode in my friend's van, um, and I went and saw this band. Uh, there's this singer. His name is uh, Michael W. Smith. Yeah, and familiar. I saw him, I saw this band that I really liked called DC Talk. They were like a, a rap hip hop group. Uh-huh. I saw them open up for Michael W. Smith at the Spectrum. And like, it was so, they were like, you know, first time I'm seeing like fog machines and smoke and like all this stuff. It was amazing. That was my first concert. And it was That's glorious. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, number four, and this one has taken on its whole new life due to 2020 being uh, what 2020 is. Mm-hmm. What was the last concert you were at? Oh shoot. The last concert that I was at, I'm trying to think of one that I was at that I didn't play cuz I haven't I haven't been going to a lot of them. I played with uh one band that I'm in called Sierra. Uh we played in Lansdale at the uh I think it's at the the Legion. What's the one on 2nd Street right by the train station? Yes. Yeah, the American yeah, we pl- Legion. Yeah. yeah, we played the Legion on the 29th of February. That was the last one. Wow. <sighs> I know. Pour a little liquor out. <laughs> uh, number five, what was your favorite concert? Best show you ever been to? Oh, my gosh. That's a rough question. Okay. Right? Um, best show that I have. Hmm. That's hard. So I'm going to pick one. And I would have to say, I saw this uh, band called Yaga Jazzist. It looks like Jaga Jazzist. They're a Norwegian, like thirteen-piece, like uh, like techno jazz band. Okay. I saw them at the uh, at the Unitarian Church in Philly, and it was one of those shows where. You used to get the emails, email blasts, like, yo, they're playing. So I'm like, okay, we're going to the show. Go to the show, hardly knew much of their music. And it was one of those moments where I look at, around at the people during this one song. And I'm like, oh, look at these poor sods. Look at them all crying. Not knowing that their tears running down my own face. Like, it was one of those moments. Yeah. And those are few and far between. Like, I, I love music, but sometimes you experience something that surprises you. And I'd never seen somebody mix that skill with, like, make it danceable and just be so, like, honest in their music. So, yeah, Yaga Yasist at the Unitarian years ago. Awesome. I love it. Uh, number six, who, have you, who did you never see live that you wish you would have? This person can be alive and or dead. Mm. Um, I sh- Wait, just one person? Yeah, or band. Okay. Or um, one person, I will say B.B. King. Oh, God, yeah. My friend and his dad kept going, and I kept saying I'd get him the next time he came around. And I missed it. Yeah. You know, and I, mi- I even missed, like, the wheelchair years, like, everything like that. And I mm. should have I gone. 
That happened to me with um, Elliot Smith. Um, he right before he had killed himself, he played I want to say like the truck in Philly, yeah. and I was like, ah, I can't make it this one, but I'll get the next one. Then, yes, <laughs> you know. Um, number seven, name an unappreciated John. This is anything you love that you wish more people would be into. Mm. Hmm. Let me see something that I. I'm actually going to go for a food. Okay, perfect. Uh, uh, there's a food in Nigeria that it, people in the northern part of Nigeria are known for being able to cook it. It's called suya, so I apologize to any vegetarians and vegans. It's made with beef, and it's like if they'd find like how to like do like strips of steak like on like wooden skewers like roasted over a fire and the way they spice it like i'm thinking about it and my mouth is watering right now like i wish that more people got to try this and i wish that they were suya places in the united states because i've never seen it here only I think, in nigeria i think we just found your next entrepreneurship right there <laughs> yes. Man. yes um number eight and we might have answered this on the first one but uh what's your favorite album yeah, I would I would say uh, how it feels to be something on that that's that's my favorite. Sometimes, no, I would say that 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 one there. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Number nine, name an artist whose output you will consume anything they release, even if you have to apologize for it. <laughs> that's um, that's Jeremy Enoch, who's the lead singer of that band. Actually, Jeremy oh, Enoch, yeah. anything he does, he's one of those guys that can like do no wrong for me. If it's something that I don't like right away, I'm like, okay, it's me, it's me. It's something wrong with yeah. me. This is good. I know it's good. I just need to find, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, I'll come back in a few months and maybe <laughs> yes. I'll get it. Yeah. Yes. And uh, number ten, the final question: mm -hmm. What is your favorite John of all time? Again, can be anything. Mm. Um. My favorite thing to do, and I say this because I hardly do it now, but I think my favorite thing to do is to sing. So all the projects that I'm in right now, I'll sing a tiny bit, I'll sing background vocals, I'll do that kind of thing. But singing has always been the thing that has always put me through most anything. I used to get night terrors as a child. I used to stay up late at night or not sleep at all and do all kinds of things like this and the thing that my mom always did she always had me sing with her so you sing to drive away the dark you sing to not be afraid so yeah my favorite john of all time would be singing beautiful answer i love it well it only tells me that you have to um get all of that equipment together and just yes. start recording and writing yes and doing all yes that. you'll see it if anyone wants to find uh you on social medias how do they track you down Oh, if they look for uh, C-H-I-E-M-E-N-A, uh, it's the easiest way. If you look for that on Facebook or Instagram, uh, I have a a YouTube page under the same name where I just like talk about guitar a little bit and play solos that I like or solos that a student showed me. Uh, so yeah, any, any of the major social medias, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Facebook, I'm under Chemina Okazim. All right. I will share some links as well so people can easily access them. I appreciate um, that. And stuff like that. Brother, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I hope oh, thank you, you had, man. I hope you had a good time. Oh, this I is hope, great. I, I, like I like to say, I hope I wasn't too intrusive. But, no, um, no, no. But um, thank you so much. And um, I guess I will talk to you soon. Hey, man. I'll see you later.
My thanks again to the one and only Chemina Okazum for blessing me with an incredible conversation. You can find him on Instagram at Chemina underscore Okazum and on Twitter at Chemina Okazum. And you can find him on YouTube by his name. Check him out on the latest release from Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties live from Asbury Park, available on Apple Music and Spotify and on vinyl. Actual honest-to-goodness wax. How cool is that? If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps and share it across all of the social medias. Tell your friends about it. And if you strive to be a truly super awesome John Scout and get that John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world, please go that extra mile and rate and review us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yothatsmyjohn for updates and live streams. And find Yo That's My John on YouTube for the video companion to this podcast and more. It's like this audio podcast, but you can see my dumb face. Like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out and touch some John. But that's all we got for you this week, gang. Episode 3. Did I do okay? You tell me, right? Like, you wouldn't keep that a secret from me. We're all buddies, and buddies don't keep secrets from each other, okay? Good. I'm glad we worked that out. Till next time, everybody! Hey yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be measured. You ain't yo, That's My John is a Lonely Monk production, written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Special thanks goes out to Fox Run Brands, Natalie Runkle Tompkins, and of course, the very lovely Katie Dobney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to see on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo, that's my John at gmail.com. But until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. <laughs>